Well, good evening and welcome to our series, Questioning Christianity. Super excited to have y'all here. Over the course of the next nine weeks, we're going to turn to a difficult question posed to Christianity. So we'll be considering questions like, does Christianity have an answer to the problem of evil? Isn't Christianity just oppressive and misogynistic? Can we really trust the Bible? Is Jesus the only way to God? My hope is that in answering some of these questions, it will equip any of you who are Christians to be able to have confidence that the Bible does have answers to some of these hard questions posed by the culture around us. And if you're not a Christian or if you're just curious about some of these questions, my hope is that you walk away both with a bigger view of God and a bigger view of what the Bible says about some of these things. But ultimately, my hope is that you reckon with these hard questions not as something to attack the credibility of Christianity, um, but is something that the Bible truly does have responses to, and that in those responses, you'll ultimately be led to belief in God. So even as we're gonna consider today, the, I think the question, do I even need God, is an important one to consider. So the first couple of weeks of this series are gonna be a bit more introductory. Next week, we'll be considering the, the question, what's the main story of the Bible anyway? As Christians, the Bible is our bedrock for truth. It is uh, what we believe to be God's word to us. And so we want to start there and for that to be the foundation of everything uh, that we teach, which is also why we'll consider the question later, can we even really trust the Bible? But today's question, do I even need God, is an important one to start with because I gather that many people are pretty content without God. You know, the age-old question, does God truly exist, is more of a uh, philosophical question that people have debated over the years. Um, but I wanted us to consider the question, do I even need God? Because I think that many young people especially are just pretty apathetic. They just don't even care to engage with God. It's not that um, they necessarily believe that, you know, someone is wrong for believing in God. It's just that, oh yeah, that's their thing. And as long as they're happy, that's great. So this week's question is really meant to address those of you who are pretty content with your lives. Those of you who don't really talk about religion nor care to talk about religion. I was just talking to two girls on the campus yesterday, Skylar and Reagan, and they identify as Christians, but they said that no one really talks about religion at all anymore. Um, it's not that, again, people are hostile to it. It's just that no one even just cares to talk about it. You know, I was thinking about this today and just the, the life of ease and convenience that we live here, even in the United States with so many things around us. And uh, I kind of thought it was funny. I was like, gosh, who even needs God when Amazon Prime will ship you a package in, for free in two days? Who needs God when Google will answer any question that you have? Who needs God when Walmart just down the road will shop for you? They will literally send a human being to pick up the groceries that you have picked online and then place them into the back of your vehicle for free. Who needs God when you have all the connections you need on LinkedIn or followers on Instagram? You know, if you've ever been around Christian circles, you've probably heard the evangelistic pitch before. Aren't you searching for something? Don't you need to fill a void in your life? Well, how anticlimactic when the person says, no, I'm good. 
I remember a pastor recalling a funny exchange between a Christian and a happy non-Christian one time. It went like this. The Christian asks, aren't you looking for something more in life? Response, like what? Meaning, purpose, fulfillment, you know, stuff like that. Response, not really. I like my job right now and my girlfriend and I are doing really great. We're actually going to Maui next month. <laughs> the Christian responds, well, okay, but those kinds of things don't really last, do they? That's okay, Hawaii's got other islands. But don't you ever wonder if there's more to life than just temporal things? Response, I used to, but I haven't lately. Isn't there a God-shaped vacuum inside of you? Response, what in the world are you talking about? Don't you think life will someday become unhappy? Response, only if you keep talking to me. <laughs> if you uh, think that you're okay without God this evening, my aim is to convince you that you do not need God because your life is miserable, but because the good things that you enjoy witness to a God behind them. And if you're a Christian here tonight, my primary aim is to encourage you to live a life of gratitude to God for all that you possess and to remind you that your worth is not in what you own, even as we just sang. In essence, this evening, we're going to consider the good life, the good life we perceive and the good life that the Bible talks about. The good life we perceive is marked by those things that are external, personal happiness, contentment, lack of physical need. The good life that the Bible talks about is marked by those things that are internal though, happiness in God, contentment in the life God gives, even in times of physical need, and a soul that is right before God. You know, I think connected to these categories is knowledge of self. What's interesting about prosperity and self-sufficiency is that we assume we are those without need. We believe that our knowledge of self is validated by our prosperous existence. And by knowledge of self, I simply mean that these things we perceive to be true about ourselves. And because we are living a content life now, we assume that eternally or within our souls, everything is to be okay. But this evening, I want us to consider that true knowledge of self and true knowledge of the good life requires us not just to look to our perceived knowledge of self through our physical prosperity or our physical contentment, but to look to our spiritual poverty. For though you may think that you have a right assessment of your life apart from God, that curtain of ignorance or unmindfulness about your true self and about your true life that you hold over your eyes willingly, well, it will one day be drawn and the light of God's true judgment and character will come flooding in. For God has not left himself without witness. Which is to say that the good things that you do enjoy, the good things that lead you to a content life, witness to a God behind them. So as we consider our question this evening, I want you to keep that statement in mind. God has not left himself without witness. Let's look together at a brief story in the Bible from the book of Acts. If you have a Bible, turn with me there to Acts chapter 14. You know, as Christians, we believe that the Bible is God's word to us. It is a communication to us from God of God's own character, of our need for him, and of the solution that he provides for our sin problem. Let's start reading in verse 8 of chapter 14. The big number there, the number 14, is the chapter number, and then the numbers underneath that are the verse numbers, so you can find your place there in verse 8. 
Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Well, what's happening here is that after Paul and Barnabas had healed this man by the power of God, the townspeople began to bow down and worship them. This group of townspeople had already been living a fairly good life according to human perception, but now it's gotten even better because a couple of Greek gods have shown up on their doorstep. But these two Christians, Paul and Barnabas, weren't having it. Instead, they tell them to turn from these things into the living God, as you see there in verse 15. But what they say next is fascinating there in verse 17. Yet he, God, did not leave himself without witness. He, God, did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. What are Paul and Barnabas doing here? Well, they're drawing on a belief of what Christians over the years have called common grace. It simply means that God extends a certain measure of kindness and goodness and favor to all people, even those who rejected him. They're showing these non-believing peoples that the food they eat and the gladness they experience in everyday situations are a witness from God of God's own existence and of his wisdom and of his goodness. You see there in verse 17 that God did good by giving them rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, which caused their hearts to be satisfied with food and with gladness. These are people who did not recognize God's existence, but Paul and Barnabas are showing them here that the rains that you have received are a gift from God that he has caused to fall on both the righteous and the unrighteous that then caused their hearts to be satisfied with food and with gladness. These townspeople are not to think that the good things they've received have happened by some type of cosmic accident or by some surprise gift from the Greek gods. No, they are a result of God in heaven, who verse 15 says, made all things. God has not left himself without witness. He has extended common grace upon all people who reject him. But why has God done this? In order to lead them to knowledge of him. To any of you who hold that claim, I don't need God, I am content in this life. 
you're like that person who steals their friend's joke. We all know this person. You're hanging out with a group of people and you say a joke, but no one hears it. And then your friend sitting slyly next to you decides that it's in their best interest to repeat the joke, but only to say it a little bit louder. Everyone in the room busts out in laughter and you sit there shamefully because everyone is laughing, but no one has honored the true agent behind the laughter. Well, my friends, that's exactly what it's like to enjoy life, to be content, and to say that you don't need God, when in reality, it is God who has given you those good gifts that have led to contentment. You know, we should be struck by this even in the little things. Just the other day, I was at Walmart and I was picking up some groceries and I also got some bananas. And when I checked out, I had something like 2.37 pounds of bananas and it cost me something like 87 cents. I was like, are you kidding me? What a deal. I'm literally stealing from Walmart. There are too many scenarios to recall. Think about the first time you ever saw the ocean. You are driving and you get up to that high point on the bridge and you see the expanse of water for the first time. You should be struck without, with awe. You know, you're sitting in a cold restaurant and you walk out into the warm sun and it causes your skin to just rejuvenate. Think about the time that you've ever felt downcast and someone put their hand on your shoulder. God gives us good gifts, but all of these gifts are not some type of random chance event. They are a kindness from God that witness both to his existence and to your need of him. For he has not left himself without witness. We have to ask ourselves, as Paul was prompting these townspeople, who or what is behind the joy and contentment that you feel in your life? Why do you feel that you can claim that you don't need God? That just because you are content, that somehow you are the one who is sufficient for those things. That you are the sole agent, the sole creator behind those things. Paul here in Acts 14 is reminding these folks, and indeed he is reminding us, that God reveals himself even to those who don't recognize their need for him. Isn't it amazing that those who ignore God can still breathe the air that he provides? Isn't it astounding that those who reject God can still feast on the food that he gives? Isn't it wild to realize that those who despise God can hike in his forests, swim in his waters, laugh, sing, and dance on his lands? Friends, we are overdue on our earthly rent. In fact, we are, we are grossly underpaid, and yet God has not evicted us. He allows us to stay in his cosmic playroom. God knew that in our pride we would forget our need of him, which is why he has implanted a witness of himself in all good things he gives. For God has not left us without witness. If you are that person who is content without God, but God has allowed you to stay here, he has not yet evicted you, it is because he wants you to be led, not just to knowledge of him, but to repentance and to trust. That is a turning away from yourself and a turning to God. If you feel that you have no need of God because your life is just fine without him, well, my friend, you have taken good gifts from God and you have enjoyed these gifts, but you have willingly rejected him and thus put your own soul in jeopardy. As Romans 2.4 says, or 
Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God's kindness, God's witness is meant to lead you to repentance. This life will soon pass and you will not have the luxury of deciding whether you need God or not. The Bible teaches that humans were initially created perfect without any form of defect or blemish, and yet the third chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, recalls a story where Earth's first humans believe a lie about God and opt to disobey God's gracious care in commands. Though initially in perfect fellowship and harmony of relationship with God, the first humans were deceived about believing a lie about God and thought that they could have knowledge for themselves apart from God, that they weren't wholly dependent upon God for their needs. This disobedience to God is called sin. And from then on, it spread like a cancerous tumor throughout the entire earth. And from then on, it would indeed affect every human after them in this entire world. It doesn't take much to see sin around us. You just look at the news and you see how much violence and hatred there is in the world. Sin is all around us. But sin is not just a problem out there. Sin, as we saw in the hearts of these first two humans, is a deeply personal issue as well. Deep down, each one of us are sinners. The Bible teaches that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And though capable of doing good, at our core, we are sinners because we have rejected God. Even if you're living a content life, and even if you say that it's okay for others to believe in God, but you're better off without Him, you have sinned against God by rejecting Him. You cannot be neutral. If you have done one wrong thing in this life, one lie, one word of gossip, one bad thought, you have broken God's standard of perfect obedience. Like a single drop of oil in a glass of water, you are tainted. And this sin both separates us from God because God is a holy God. That is that he is the creator of all things and in and of himself he is purely holy, purely righteous. He is distinctive and so God's holiness is intolerant of our sin we cannot dwell with God in fellowship anymore because he is intolerant of our own sin. But the sin doesn't just separate us from God. It also carries with it spiritual and physical death because God is a righteous judge who must punish sin because the wages of sin, that is what we have earned for our sin, is death. This is the judgment that we all stand under. Because we have willingly rejected God, we have chosen to stand under his judgment. But the good news is, is that God is not far from you. The good news is, is that God has not left you without witness of himself. And though the rain that feeds the plants and the bread that fills our bodies points to God's goodness, God's love is ultimately witnessed to us through his Son, Jesus Christ. True evidence that God has not left himself without witness is shown in the sending of his Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to redeem a lost and sinful people back into relationship with him. 
As the writer of Hebrews from the Bible says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Later he writes, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Pay close attention for God has not left himself without witness. Jesus, the eternal son of God, humbled himself by taking on human flesh and living on our sin infested world. Though perfectly uh, holy, though living in heaven with God, though sharing in perfect fellowship with God the Father, Jesus Christ came down to this earth. And though tempted and tried and enduring much hardship on this earth, he never sinned nor doubted God. Though Satan attempted to deceive this Jesus just as he did to the first humans in the garden, Jesus didn't take the bait. He lived in perfect obedience to God and then willingly went to a cross to take upon himself the penalty that our sins had earned us. That penalty that we talked about just earlier, death and the outpouring of God's wrath against sin. But here's the linchpin of the gospel. Jesus didn't just live a perfect life on this earth that he then was able to go to a cross in full obedience to God and give of his own life in our place to pay the penalty for our sins and to receive God's full cup of wrath against him. No, this Jesus, after he died, was buried and he lay in a grave for three days. But had he stayed in that grave? Well, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says that our faith would be in vain. That even though Jesus lived this perfectly obedient and righteous life before God, if he had stayed in the grave, it would mean that sin and death ultimately had the victory. But my dear friends, Jesus did not stay in the grave. No, he rose from the dead on the third day. There's a reason that later in the book of Acts, Paul says this, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him, Christ, from the dead. That's Acts 17, 30 through 31. Paul is saying that we can have assurance that we not only need God, but that we can have fellowship again with God because Christ has risen from the grave. But Acts there also says that we cannot remain ignorant anymore. God commands you to repent. Again, that is to turn from yourself, to recognize your need of God, but also to recognize that you stand under this judgment of sin. And the only way that you can be relieved of that is by looking to Christ. God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world. But again, he has given us this assurance. Christ Jesus has risen from the dead. And if Christ Jesus has risen from the dead after conquering sin on the cross in the place of sinners, then we too can be assured that if we place our faith in him, if we fully trust him to save us and to unite us back into relationship with God, well, friends, we will not be judged on the basis of our sin, but on the basis of the risen Christ, perfect righteousness. For God has not left himself without witness. 
He has sent his son Jesus to witness to himself and also to be the means through which we can be united back into relationship with him. If only we recognize our need of him. If only we recognize that in and of ourselves we cannot work our way to God. If only we recognize that in and of ourselves there is nothing sufficient to obtain salvation. If only we recognize that in and of ourselves we stand under God's wrath. But because a better man, the Lord Jesus Christ, stood under God's wrath in our place, if we place our faith in Him and in the work that He has accomplished and believe that it is sufficient for us, then we too can be saved. Ultimately, my friends, we need God not because we need personal happiness or we need to soothe our existential fears about this life. No, we need God because He is the only one who can provide security and hope for our souls. I have one last plea for y'all tonight rooted in the hope of even more abundant life. For Jesus came not just to give life, but to give it abundantly, as John 10.10 says. For any of you who are living a contented life, friend, you are promised infinitely more. For any of you who are content in this life and happy with the things that you have, you're like that person who goes to a five-star restaurant and leaves after the appetizer, not knowing that a host of other delectable courses await you. In the words of C.S. Lewis, you are a half-hearted creature. He writes in his essay, The Weight of Glory, that it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Money, sex, school success, a thriving social life, good health, the perfect job, the perfect city to live in, and the various other blessings of God's common grace would tempt you to believe the lie that you are living your best life now, that you have no need outside of what you can see directly in front of you. But friend, you might be like that child who is making mud pies in a slum when she's been given the offer of a holiday at the sea. And you never know when those circumstances might change, when the very things that you find security in to give you contentment, to give you this idea that you don't need God, you have no idea when those things might be stripped away. As we consider this question, do you really need God? Well, in part, this question depends on the life you want to live. If you're content now and you feel like you're living a relatively happy life, well, Maybe you're set. Maybe you think that you don't need God. But I would encourage you again to consider who or what is behind that. And what will happen to you when those things are maybe stripped away? If you want to live a life of everlasting joy, a life where God can have fellowship with you, will you do in fact need God? And you need to recognize that just because you are physically okay does not mean that you are spiritually okay. 
just because you are physically fine, just because your current circumstances lead you to contentment do not mean that you are spiritually fine. For what will happen to you after you die? What is the state of your soul? You need to turn to God now. You never know when the day of God's judgment will come. So do not let the sun go down on your rejection of him. For God has not left himself without witness. Let's pray.